Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you a proud person? Are you ever proud of yourself? I mean, maybe it was the end of the school year and you worked hard to study for those exams and, and you aced them and you're feeling good. Or maybe you're at your job and, and you're working hard and, and you get a promotion or you get a raise. You're proud. Maybe you've been exercising more and eating less and, and you dropped a few pounds and, and that makes you proud of yourself. You're likely proud of other people too, children, grandchildren, uh, other people you love. It doesn't really even matter how well they do in school or if they win the game or they win the championship. We're, we're proud of them simply because they're, they're doing their best and really just because we love them. But I want to challenge you today. Is it okay to be proud? We're going to clearly see that pride is a sin. The question is, is it always a sin? Or is there such a thing as godly pride? Our reading from 2 Chronicles chapter 26 today tells us that after King Uzziah became powerful, his pride led to his downfall. Now, that's the only time it's stated like that. But if you look back over all of the other kings that we've already studied, you hear similar things. It's after the kingdom was firmly established or after the king won some kind of military victory or after the king fortified and strengthened the cities of Judah, then came the downfall. And I think you could easily argue that pride was at the center of their sin and their downfalls. Now we can see that in the kings that we studied just this week. The first king was Amaziah. Like many before him, he was a good and godly king until pride kicked in. He worshipped the Lord. He led the people to worship the Lord. And so the Lord blessed him. He conquered some of his enemies. The first mistake he made was he brought back the gods of one of the peoples he had conquered. And he began worshipping these false gods. And like so many before, God sent a prophet to call him to repentance. But he basically told that prophet to zip it. And then in his pride or arrogance, he challenged the king of Israel. The king of Israel told him, that's like a little splinter trying to attack the big tree, but he would have none of it. Instead, his pride led to his downfall. In our first reading today, you, you hear how Uzziah's pride attacked him. He thought that because he was the king, and again, he was in general a good and godly king, but he got to the point of thinking, well, because I'm the king, I can walk right into the temple of the Lord and I can burn incense. Now think about it. He's wanting to worship God. His heart is kind of in the right place. And yet, in his pride and arrogance, he took on a role that God had not given him. And these courageous priests walked into the temple and said, King, you don't belong here. This burning of incense has been given only to the descendants of Aaron, the, the ones who are consecrated. And again, he became angry at the priests until the Lord 
struck him with leprosy, and he lived out his days banned from the temple of the Lord. You're probably uh, more familiar with the last king than you realize. It's King Ahaz. In Chronicles, all we read is that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He worshipped the Baals. He led the people to worship the Baals, like some of the kings from last week. And as a result, God sent enemies against him. Both the king from Israel and the king from Aaron attacked him. But what you don't read in Chronicles is that God sent the prophet Isaiah. God sent Isaiah to tell the king, even though he was completely evil, that God was not going to let these enemies destroy Judah. In fact, have you ever seen those t-shirts that say, keep calm and whatever they say? This actually came from Isaiah. Isaiah said, keep calm and don't be afraid. The Lord went a step further and invited King Ahaz to ask for a sign to prove that God would not let these enemies win the victory. But in his pride and really a false humility, King Ahaz said, I'm not going to test the Lord, which is exactly what he was doing. You actually know the sign that God gave him anyway. Isaiah prophesied that the virgin would be with child and give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel. God prophesied not only that he would save the country of Judah, but that he would save the world through his virgin-born son. We could go on with each and every king. Almost all of them fall into the sin of pride, which leads to their downfall. Some would argue that pride is actually the original sin, not just with Adam and Eve, but with the devil. This is a little bit of speculation because the Bible doesn't give us all of the details about the devil's rebellion before he brought sin to earth. But many think that the devil, we know he was an angel, many think he was a high-ranking angel, maybe second only to God. Others think that some of the passages in the Bible describe his beauty and glory and splendor. But the devil wasn't content with being number two only after God. In his pride, he rebelled against God. He wanted the rest of the angels and all of God's creation, even God himself, to bow down and worship him and tell him how great he was. Well, that didn't work out. He got thrown out of heaven, but then he brought pride to this earth. Now, when I studied Genesis 3, the fall into sin and catechism or New Life in Christ class, We recognize that the command is don't eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, right? And when you dissect the temptation, I often will encourage people to consider what's the sin in the heart that led to the eating of the fruit. And most of the time we come to the conclusion that it's it's doubt. Because the devil asked, did God really say you can't eat the fruit? And will you really die if you do eat it? But it's the last part of the temptation that leans towards pride. The devil told Adam and Eve that if you eat the fruit, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know good and evil. I wonder if Adam and Eve wanted the same thing that the devil wanted. They wanted God to worship them. Do we? Doesn't the devil tempt us with pride in the same way? I think this has become especially true in America because we're constantly told that we have rights. 
Which means we get to demand certain blessings, not just from other people, but even from God. Sometimes in pride, we are acting as if God owes us. God owes us life or breath or clean air or food or a certain lifestyle or, or level of living. God doesn't owe us anything. I mean, if anything, God owes us suffering and death and hell, starting with today and, and forever. In pride, we even take credit for the blessings that God does offer to us. It's so easy for us to look at all that we have, whether it's our, our homes or our toys or our bank accounts, and to think we worked really hard, we scrimped and we saved and we worked long hours, and look at how we have built this life for ourselves, rather than recognizing even our gifts and abilities come from God. I wonder if we even take pride in our faith. If on the one hand, we think that somehow we chose to believe in God, that it was because we thought about it and we decided that God is the true God or the Bible gives us the truth, rather than realizing that even faith is a gift of God. And could there be any more pride than thinking to ourselves that we will never lose our faith? How arrogant do you have to be to think, I don't really need to read my Bible or go to Bible study or even go to church to keep my faith. I mean, I know that God sent Jesus and he'll just take me to heaven. It doesn't really matter how I live my life. We often turn faith into knowledge. It's true. You are probably never going to forget that Jesus died on a cross for you. But you realize, don't you, that knowing Jesus and depending on him are two different things. And that's what happened to the kings of Judah. They knew the true God. They knew the Lord. They knew all of his promises and all of his commands. They just didn't always trust in him. Instead, the more God blessed them, the more they began to trust in their power or their wealth or their fame or even the other gods of countries who could not save them. It really doesn't make any sense. I went to the back of my Bible and to my concordance. That's where you can look up a word and find it in passages throughout the Bible. And I just looked up the word pride. And every passage that I found was negative. In Proverbs, uh, there were three or four of them. Uh, Proverbs 8, God said, I hate arrogance and pride. Later on, he said that after pride comes disgrace and that pride breeds quarrels and pride comes and then destruction. That's what got me asking, can pride ever be godly? Can you think of a time in the Bible, a passage, or a story where God said that he was proud? I, I thought of two. They're really the same. It's Jesus' baptism and his transfiguration. Do you remember what God the Father said both times? The voice out of the cloud said, That's my son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. Is that pride? 
Maybe. I mean, that's as close as I could find to God saying, I'm proud of someone. And, and it makes sense that God would say he is proud or well-pleased with Christ because at his baptism, he had lived a perfect life to that point, and he was about to begin his public preaching and teaching ministry. At his transfiguration, he was near the end of his ministry, but just about to begin his passion or his suffering and death. And yet, I find it interesting that God didn't use the word proud. He said, well-pleased. How about Jesus? Was he ever proud? I couldn't find anything. I only thought of the second reading that we heard from Philippians 2, where Paul reminded us that Jesus, who is God, who, who is in very nature God, the, the Son of God, who sat on a throne and reigned in heaven, how he humbled himself. And of all the humans who have ever lived, Jesus had every reason for pride. He was God. He was all-powerful. He was perfect and holy. And yet Jesus never used his equality with God to his own advantage. Rather, Paul reminded us, he humbled himself. First, by becoming human. And then by living under both God's law and human law in a perfect way. And then by entering into his suffering. And we heard about that in our gospel reading. Jesus didn't just become obedient to death. I mean, first, he was mocked and spit on and crowned with thorns and beaten with a staff over and over again, all leading up to his death on a cross. And he did that for you. Jesus lived in humility rather than pride because that was the only way to save us from our sin, including our sins of pride. And how did he find the strength to do that? He trusted in God his Father. Even though he was leaving behind everything he needed in heaven, he trusted that God would provide everything he needed on earth. He didn't need a throne or a palace. He was willing to be born in a stable and to live with poor parents and, and to never even have a place to lay his head. He trusted God to provide all that he needed, not just physically, but he trusted God to give him the strength to resist the devil's temptations and to suffer through the mockery and the beating and even death on a cross. He trusted that after he was done saving us, God would exalt him again and raise him from the dead and bring him back to all of his glory in heaven. You can trust God in the same way. In fact, there's one more king I didn't mention yet. His name is Jotham. All we're told about him is that he became powerful because he steadfastly followed the Lord. So maybe rather than being proud of ourselves, we trust God. We acknowledge that everything we have is a gift from God. And that when God gives us gifts and abilities and talents to do well in school or to do well in sports or to do well at our jobs, those are all gifts from God. That every dollar in our bank account and everything we can list on our asset sheet, they're all gifts from God. And most importantly, God has given us his own son 
He's taken away all of your sins, and he's promised that one day you too will live in glory and splendor and beauty that we can't even imagine here on earth. We don't need to prove to others or even to ourselves that we have worth and value by what we do or what we accomplish. Your worth and your value has been given to you by a God who loved you enough to send his son, who loved you enough to die for you, who loved you enough to send the spirit to continue working on your heart, to remove pride and replace it instead with humility. What about being proud of others? I've told my kids that we're proud of them. I, I heard my wife just the other day say that to them too. And I, I, I get it. But I wonder if it would be better instead of telling them that we're proud of them and, and maybe tempting them to become full of themselves, maybe it would be better to say, I thank God for you. To remind our children that they too are gifts from God and, and to praise and thank God for whatever gifts he has given to them. I don't want to turn this into like a black and white issue where you feel guilty any time that you say you're proud of yourself or someone else. But I would like you to consider the temptation of pride. And maybe instead of filling ourselves with pride, we fill ourselves with praise. Praise to the God who loves you, to the God who has gifted you with everything that you have, and to the God who has provided glory. The more we direct our attention to God, perhaps we don't need to be proud as much as simply thankful.